and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this Sacred City Life Podcast is all about helping everyday, normal people follow Jesus in their normal life. That's what we're here for. That's what we want to help encourage. We've got several different segments on the podcast um, to move towards that end. And this segment we call Theology for Everyone. And what we're doing is we're slowly working through the Westminster Confession of Faith, a small, um, reliable, historical, uh, systematic theology that um, breaks down the Bible by various doctrines. And we're working through that and we're exploring um, each chapter and then each segment and then we're breaking down the words and breaking down the sentences, and we're going to the scriptural proofs to see where the Westminster divines um, came up with these. They were very shaped. They had a biblical worldview, more so than most of us, because they were absolutely steeped in scripture. Um, They spent decades studying it and memorizing it and teaching it. And, um, And so you cut them and they bled scripture. And so sometimes they would just talk and you could say, well, where do you get that? And they could give you 10 scriptures where they got that, even though they might not be quoting the scriptures verbatim. Mm-hmm. Um, they're thinking biblically, that their mind works in line with the scriptures. They're, the concepts and worldviews and ideas are all stemmed from scripture. And so um, that's what we're doing. We're working through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today, I've got my three pastoral residents with me. I've got Alex Tate. How's it going, guys? We've got Bryce and Amex. What's up? And Kevin Noor. Hey, guys. There we go. And so um, we are sitting here in my office and ready to get back after it. Now, I, I've been gone for a month, so... Um, it's my, been a long time. It's been a long, a long time. time. It's been a long time. I've been out, for the most part, for uh, making podcasts, I think, for about a month. But we had enough stored up that we kept them coming to a week to keep everybody um, fed, to keep everybody fed while I was taking a month off to be with my family um, because my wife had our fifth child, Esther May Dean, and everything's going great. She's awesome. She's super sweet and doing well, and uh, I'm relearning how to function on less sleep. <laughs> Change some diapers yet? I'm changing diapers, man. I'm changing diapers. I ain't afraid. I'm changing diapers. I'm holding the baby. I'm, you know, but it's a lot. In one sense, it's a lot easier because I got a 14 year old and I've got an 11 year old, and they are smitten and they love her and they want to help out. And so it's been nice because obviously my wife is a pro, but also having two older kids to help out, go get diapers, go, you know, I mean, you, I'm a, I'm, I'm dumb, right? So I'll be like changing the diaper and realize I don't have the wet ones right there. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> Literally, I've already got the diaper off. I'm like, Javin, run, get me. I need go get me the wet ones. I'm out, right, you know, right. or whatever. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing to take that time off. Though I worked in the office for the first couple weeks because we thought she was going to go early, but she didn't. And so I still worked around the office and got some writing done and got some stuff done. I think I even maybe recorded a podcast or two. Um, but out of the pulpit for four weeks. And so it was good to get back in the pulpit yesterday and it's good to get back in the, the woodshed today and uh, start start talking shop, start talking theology, okay? 
So to that end, that's where we're headed. And we're jumping back into Theology for Everyone, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are in chapter six, if you're following along with us. Chapter six is of the fall of man, of sin, and of the punishment thereof. Not everybody's favorite topic, um, talking about sin, but an important topic nonetheless, because it is one of the only doctrines that can be um, verified through the scientific method, right? We can um, test and retest and always find that, guess what? People sin. It can be historically verified. It can be scientifically verified. The doctrine of sin that people sin. Um, we are going to be jumping back into Article 5 and Article 6, the, six, the last two. And we can read those and then go in and kind of break them down mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, Bryson, you got it there in front of you? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and read the first re- Read Article 5 for us. Okay. This corruption of nature during this life doth remain in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. All right, Kevin, will you read Article 6? Yeah. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Okay. So the first thing that we have to acknowledge is the language is a little archaic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's old English. We don't speak this way anymore. And so you could say, well, what's the, what's the good in studying this? It sounds so old, it's so hard to understand. Well, like I said earlier, they're speaking in biblical categories that many times we just don't even have. Hmm. And so, and that challenges our current worldview and it helps us learn things that we don't know because we don't think like this anymore. And so going back and studying these words and what did they mean by that can actually help us understand the doctrine of sin, understand what's going on in us, what's going on in the people that we're trying to gospel, we're trying to disciple, what's going on in our world. It's going to give us um, some insight there. So it is worth, even though we don't speak this language, it's worth studying. What do you mean what, what we don't have? Categories-wise? Mm-hmm. Well, we speak in a lot of generalities, mm-hmm. you know, but we don't really see how sin has affected the different aspects of being human, okay? Um, The way I think, the way I feel, the way that I obey, before Christ and after Christ, all of that is a little, there's a lot of nuance in there, right? We just say, people are are sinners, yeah, yeah, we're a sinner, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of go, and we just kind of throw it all in there, and we don't really have... um, different categories of thought of how sin has affected the human being, okay? And not just sin itself, but also just being created, you know, being, we are not God, right? We're created, so that, so that puts some limits on us there as well. So let's, let's jump in and we'll see how the Westminster Divines show us some of these categories maybe that we need to, to learn. 
Uh, Article 5. This corruption of nature... Okay, immediately he's talking about the fall, right? So we were created good. Let's remind ourselves of that. We were created good. We were created without sin. And yet we chose, human, our, our forebears, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God, right? Mm-hmm. And God said, if you do that, you will be cursed. You will die, right? And all of nature got corrupted. Even that word, sin as corruption, how often do we talk about sin as corruption, right? Yeah. We talk about sin as brokenness. We talk as, about sin as missing the mark. We talk about sin as a failure to obey God. But think about sin as corruption. When you, what do you think of when you think of the word corruption? I almost think of like, uh, like falling apart from the end. For whatever reason, my mind sees like walls that look kind of fine on the outside, but they're like inside of the wall, it's just like, it's falling. It's okay. going to fall. Yeah, it's good. Alex, what do you think when you hear the word corruption? I was, I was thinking just business-wise, right? There's, Being there's corrupt? There's so many people that, you know, you know, corrupt the business, right? And um, that was good because I, I would have never thought about the, the whole wall. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that, I don't know what that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Any thoughts on you, for you? So when I think corruption, I think um, rotting and decay, typically. Excellent. Okay. Because that's where I go typically. I think Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're corrupt, <laughs> right? Like, but it's the same. It's the same principle all in all three places. Mm-hmm. It is something that was meant to be good, virtuous, or integrous. The wall. It's meant to have a certain integrity, but it's being corrupted from. It could be corrupted from uh, termites, right? And then now it no longer can hold the weight of a roof, and so it's corrupt. A businessman, he's meant to be, if he's godly, he's meant to be good, morally virtuous, morally righteous, and yet he's corrupt, and so he's taking bribes, he's doing this stuff, and he's, that's sin as corruption. And then, same thing mm-hmm. as the walking dead, the flesh, that the flesh is corrupt. So, sin is, you, you, this sin is corruption is almost like, um, you can just see it as something good that's gone bad, mm-hmm. right? And now it is bad, right? It's bad in and of itself. So the, this corruption of nature during this life doth remain in those that are regenerated. Okay. So we know we're born sinners. We have original sin. We're born corrupt right? We sin naturally from birth. Mm -hmm. So what the Westminsters are saying is that corruption of nature remains during this life, even in those who are regenerated. What is regeneration? Kevin, what is regeneration? Uh, Spiritual rebirth, the working of the Holy Spirit. So that's being born again. Mm -hmm. Regeneration is when the Spirit of God comes into a person and takes the dead person and brings them to new life, right? So the corrupted person receives the Spirit of God and they are spiritually made new, mm-hmm. right? Are they still corrupt? Yes, because it does, it does remain in those who are regenerated. Okay, yes. 
that sinful nature still remains. Now, there is a lot of people that have a problem with this, and they, and they have really poor theology, and they think when they're born again, because they are righteous in Christ, they've been made righteous in Christ, that now somehow they are no longer sinners, they no longer have a sinful nature, and they now, they now should only be talked about as the righteousness of Christ. And they don't want preachers telling them they're sinners. They don't want the church to talk about sin. They just want to talk about being righteous. You think that's why a lot of people like stop coming to church because they feel like they can never meet the standard? Well, maybe, but if that's the message they're hearing at the church, then they need to stop coming to that church <laughs> because the message is none of us can meet the standard. And so Christ met the standard for us. Yep. But if you get tired of if you get tired of hearing how you fail to meet the standard, yeah. you're tired of reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sucks to be your husband or wife. Yeah. Because that means nobody can tell you that you I mean you're just arrogant, right? Nobody can tell you you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is every human being remains corrupt. We're still dealing with our sinful nature. And so we're that flesh is hanging on, right? And so we still need to learn how to repent and grow in grace, et cetera, et cetera. What's the danger of um, rejecting, rejecting this, rejecting that we stay corrupt and are progressively sanctified? What's the danger in rejecting? Well, there's a lot, but and you you tell me. I want you to answer your own question here because you might be thinking of something I'm not thinking of, but. Right now, the first thing I think, I mean, there's a lot of dangers, but one of the first things I think of is how it disconnects people from reality. Mm. Can you, I mean, it's the walk, it's literally the zombie who says, I'm a, I'm a fully functioning human being. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm completely, you know, I'm not corrupt. What are you talking about? I'm beautiful. (laughs) Right. And you're looking like you're seeing his teeth through his face because he has no (laughs) lips anymore. Right. And you're like. They're like, and that's the reality. Anybody that knows us sees our corruption. Mm-hmm. Anybody that knows us sees where we miss the mark, sees where we're sinful, sees where we're broken, sees where we, we don't really believe the gospel. And when we, you know, have a theology that says we're the righteousness of Christ, period, that's it. You know, don't talk to me about my sin. That's what it's like. It's like, you know, everybody else sees us for who we are, but we're trying to live in a make-believe world. Mm-hmm. What are you? What were you thinking? Uh, I was thinking a lot of that, but also, if I am only the righteousness of Christ, then I can't repent because I'm never wrong. Mm. And so then you end up, I think, raising children in that mindset of either you can't sin once you become a Christian, so you're perfect, good job, or I'm perfect, and you grow up recognizing I. Mom and Dad, you think that you you say that you're perfect. I can't measure up. So, if being Christian is perfect, and I know I'm not perfect, I'm just I don't want any of that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And this is, um, they're writing this to um, counter Roman Catholic teaching mm-hmm. on basically perfectionism. That that they teach that you can become so sanctified mm. so whole, you be, you can become perfect in this life you know not on your own strength through grace but the westminsters are like nope nobody can become perfect in this life right 
And so let's go on here. Or is there? Let's let's go to the scripture there. What what was that scripture? Yeah, Romans seven fourteen, and then uh, seventeen and eighteen. It says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin." Hold on, who's who's saying this? Paul. Who? Paul. The apostle. Yeah. Big A apostle. Wait, wait, wait! But he's the righteousness of Christ, Bryson. Yeah. He's the one who writes that sinners. stuff. He's wow, well, yeah. wow, yeah. <laughs> Okay, keep reading. Sorry. Uh, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good. Hold dwells- on, wait. Sin dwells in the apostle. <laughs> I am utterly offended by this. Saint Paul. The, yeah. How could Saint Paul? How could sin dwell in Saint Paul? He must not have been trying must have been, He must have got on Timothy's nerves or something. Timothy wrote that part. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's wife wrote that part. Just joking. Um, go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Okay. So, there we see Paul already converted, already regenerated, saying, basically, I know what's right. I want to do what's right. God's law is written in my heart now because I've been regenerated. I want to obey God. And guess what? I don't have the power to live it out perfectly. Mm. Live it out 100%. Live it out consistently. Why? Because sin is still alive in me. Mm -hmm. Corruption is... So that's what's corrupting us, right? This... So now we have two natures. We have our, we have the right. We are the righteousness of God. We have our, you know, our godly nature, and we have the sinful nature. And the sinful nature is still corrupting us. Okay, where before all we could do was sin, now we can do good and we can sin. But sin is still corrupting our works. Mm. Okay. We have more scriptures on that, or was that it? Yeah, one more. Yeah. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Okay, so mm-hmm. both of what I said and what Kevin said are in that one verse right there. One, I said... You're living in make-believe, right? And everybody else sees it. You're deceiving yourself. That's exactly how they say it. You're deceiving yourself, and you're never going to repent for your sins, Mm -hmm. right? If you say you don't, you're never, you're not going to repent. There's no forgiveness if you can't see your sin and repent of it. Okay, is that it for those for that one? Okay. So, this corruption of nature during this life does remain in those that are regenerated, and although it be through Christ. So I can hear people on the other side saying, but, 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 but. Well, he ain't done yet. Although it be through Christ pardoned. Ooh, bring it. So we are forgiven. Yes. All of our sins, even our future sins, we've mm. been pardoned, right? Yeah. We just watched Donald Trump pardon all kind of crooked people, right? But guess what? It didn't matter how crooked they are, they got pardoned. How's Donnie always come up? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, because a pardon, that's when you see pardon, right? Yeah, you for like. Sure. It's one of the most insane practices of a president. I mean, Obama did it before him. Yeah. They just, you know, it seems like arbitrarily choose people to just let go. <laughs> Man, this crooked guy goes free. This crooked guy yeah. goes free. 
And some of them aren't, aren't necessary and needed. But anyways, so although it be through Christ pardoned, so the corruption of our nature has already been pardoned through Christ for those who have, oh, are in Christ and mortified. Okay, again, here's another word we don't use. Mortified or mortification is the putting to death of our sinful nature, the putting to death of anything, okay? Mm-hmm. We have morticians, right? We have a mortician in our church. So to mortify our flesh or to mortify our sinful desires is to, what I say around here, is to keep our foot on the throat of our sinful nature, mm-hmm. to put our foot, to keep our foot on the throat of our sinful desires. That our flesh is like the walking dead. It's been, it's, it's, Christ gave it a mortal wound. Mm-hmm. It's going to die, but it ain't dead yet. It ain't 100% dead yet. It's still, it's the, wa- it's the living dead, mm. right? But in the new heavens and the new earth or at the judgment seat of Christ, that thing is completely cut away and we have nothing but our godly nature. Amen. Okay? Yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Okay, so here their whole... The Westminster divines are trying to keep get us not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, not to say, okay, I guess we're just sinners, we're still sinners. Let's give up on this. Let's give up on this Christianity thing because we can't. We just can't stop sinning. Nor we're just the righteousness of Christ. We're holy. We're loved. We're forgiven. Don't ever talk about sin. No, to do that is to do. Disjust, injustice to the scriptures themselves. Mm. We have to, like the apostle does, hold both of those truths together. Both and, just mm. like the podcast we did a few weeks ago. Mm. It's a both and. Every time we commit a sin, it's really sin, and yet it's really been pardoned. So there's not baby sins and big sins? No. Sin is sin, and all of it is pr- truly and properly sinned. We got scripture for that? Yeah, Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, we see them at work in the same people. We have the spirit at work in us, leading us to produce the fruits of the spirit. And we have the spirit of the flesh at work in us, leading us to produce works of the flesh, right? Mm -hmm. And when we produce works of the flesh, that's real sin. That needs to be confessed. That needs to be repented, even though it's already pardoned, even though it's already forgiven, because we've been regenerated and made new in Christ. Um, We don't just cover our eyes or plug our ears. We we accept it humbly and confess that sin. Mm -hmm. Okay, is that it? Yep. Okay. Article six. Every sin, both original and actual. So here, original sin, what we're born with, what we get passed down from Adam, and we're our, before we commit an actual sin, we're already sinners, right? That's who we are. So original sin is who we are. Actual sin is what we do. Mm. So every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression, there's another category, sin as transgression, okay, sin as doing what ought not to be done or not doing what ought to be done, Mm. of the righteous law of God and contrary to it, we got a verse, we got a scripture for that? 
First John. John three four. Yep. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Boom. So many times we don't think about that. You know that's see all these different categories for sin. Mm. Sin is corruption, but also sin as lawlessness. That it's a transgression of the righteous law. So one one of the things that makes sin sin is because we're not doing what God told us to do. Right. You know, or we're doing something that God told us not to do. So we're transgressors of the law. So every sin, both original and actual, so who we are and what we do, is a transgression of the righteous law of God and contrary unto the law of God. So it does, in its own nature, bring guilt upon the sinner. So they're saying because you're breaking the law of God, breaking the law of God brings guilt upon us. Mm. So when you break the law of God, you are guilty. You stand guilty before God, mm. right? And that ultimately he's, he's going to say, and that guilt is that guilt is worthy of punishment. So what he's not saying is when you break the law of God, you will necessarily feel guilty. Mm. Sometimes in our society, we think when we hear guilt, we think feelings instead of actual guilt, like you're guilty of it, like you actually did it. And so sometimes people won't repent because they don't feel guilty about something. Mm. Well, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel guilty at all. Well, but the Bible says the reason you don't feel guilty is because you have a hardened heart and you have a, you have a, you have a, um, a conscience that's been seared to the spirit of God and to the word of God. You, it doesn't matter if you don't feel guilty about it. You stand condemned before mm. a righteous God. Yeah. You are guilty for breaking his law, right? Mm. Because he's, he's, the law, he's the divine lawgiver and he's written the law. And if we disobey it, we are guilty, mm. right, before God. Do we have a scripture for that? Yeah, Romans 2.15. Uh, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So people, specifically in that situation, who are outside of the law, and by outside I mean they don't have the law, they don't have the Bible, they haven't read the Bible. They have a law in their own heart that tells them murder is wrong, rape is wrong, theft is wrong, whatever. They have a law written there. And when they break that law, their conscience testifies it to it unless their conscience has been seared. That's another scripture that we can... Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh Unbelievers and believers, like, there, is there a certain type of, which this is also with the idea of guilt as a feeling, but can be, unbelievers feel guilt the same way that believers feel guilt? If they do, yes. Well, that's a great question, first off. Um, if they do, so I'm not 100% sure on this. I'm, I'm gonna, this is how I'm going to answer it. When unbelievers feel guilty, that is a work of the common grace of God, okay? So it's still God, either through writing his law in their heart or giving them godly parents that instilled in them uh, what truth is, what goodness is, etc., or just the way that he built the world, right? So there are some, 
um, people who are not Christians who feel guilty about uh, pollution or littering, okay? That's good. I'm glad that they do. I'm glad that they feel like they are transgressing some law. What I hope, but I don't want them to try to um, justify themselves through their own works righteousness of buying carbon footprints or gar- buying carbon points or whatever they got to do, planting a tree or not. I want them to seek uh, forgiveness in Christ and seek justification in Christ. Mm. So I could, it, when they do feel guilty, I think it's an evidence of the common grace of God. However, a believer has the spirit of God that's meant to convince us of the righteousness of God. That's one of, and convict us of our sin. And so the, the intensity of a believer's feeling guilty, I think, should probably be more heightened than a non-believer. But, like I said before, even a believer can have a seared conscience. Mm-hmm. Even a believer can have a hardened heart and God hand them over to Satan. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, don't think, I don't think you could say that. I, I, think, I think I could say they should, right? Mm-hmm. In a, in a, a Christian who is a member of a church, confessing their sins at least on a weekly basis, um, walking, um, practicing the way of Jesus in missional community, that person should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in a way that's far beyond most unbelievers. But it's not a guarantee. We can still be blind to our own sin. Mm. And so that should we should never be arrogant and think like, well, you know, I feel, right, like, I have some kind of special access, be, you know, to to being aware of my sin just yeah. because I'm a Christian. So, with for the believer, guilt it's it's a, a gift that we can have guilt that leads us to repentance, right? I think that's where it's a little different. We have repentance to God; they have repentance through buying carbon, whatever you just said. Yeah. Well, again, again, now you know, we're, now we're we're talking about feelings as opposed to guilt. Right. Okay. The Christian is aware that they're a lawbreaker. Mm-hmm. First off, that there is a God who is the lawgiver, and every sin there is no small sin because there is no small God to sin against. Yeah. Right. And so we have actual guilt that hangs over our head. Yet Christ took that for us. Right. Christ mm-hmm. removes that guilt and He pardons us completely. Right. Mm-hmm. And that. Because of we have a, of an awareness of a real guilt against a real God, we experience the joy of a real pardon from that guilt. Mm-hmm. We might still have feelings of guilt, we sh- and, and some of those feelings are good, but they're not um, 100% accurate all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you feel guilty for something you shouldn't feel guilty about. Sometimes you don't feel guilty when you should feel guilty. Yeah, feelings are feelings. You can't. Yeah. We can't trust them. 100%. Mm-hmm. Right, but the unbeliever more than likely has some feelings, but they don't have the awareness that they stand guilty before the God who is there, the real God, right? Mm. And then if they do have a mild sense of guilt, it always results in kind of a works righteousness where they think they can kind of earn their way out of it, and their only thing they're trying to do is not feel guilty. Yeah, or that's not our goal. Our goal isn't not to feel guilty. Our goal is to be pardoned mm-hmm. for our real guilt. Yeah. Right? 
that's that's the goal. So for the believer, um, do they have to confess with their mouth and just like re- and actually repent to someone or for their actions? Because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, we, we serve a God that's, you know, he, for- he forgives us. Yeah. Well, that is true. We do serve a God who forgives us, mm-hmm. but that God who forgives us also told us to go confess our sins to one another, mm-hmm. right? And and when we have something against our brother, to go to our brother and tell our brother, right? Mm-hmm. And work it out. And so, again, the life of the Christian is more than just being forgiven. Right. It's walking the path of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's practicing the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, seeking reconciliation with, with somebody who either has wronged us or we've wronged them. That is the path of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so even every sin, both original and actual, is a transgression of the righteous law of God and it's contrary to that law. And so it does in its own nature bring guilt and upon the sinner whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Okay, so let's break this down. Sin is a transgression of the law of God, and because of that, it has consequences. Sin has, sin always has consequences. Here, they say... Um, you're bound over to the wrath of God. We have a verse for that. Among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay. This means we're born as children of wrath. That's part of what comes with original sin. Being a child of wrath, what that means is that we are, because of the sin in our life, we deserve the wrath of God. Mm. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that, have a problem with God being wrathful and all these different things. Um, but just think of the judgment of God, okay? God's wrath is poured out on anything that damages his creation and destroys his glory mm. And brings, you know, um, brings sin into the world, hurts those that he loves, etc. So, just like my wrath as a father would be poured out on someone who tries to sin against my daughters or tries to hurt my daughters, my wrath is an object of my love. My love for my daughter towards the guy trying to hurt my daughter, my love for my daughter comes out as wrath towards him, mm-hmm. Right? Because I love her, I protect her, and so you try to hurt her, you experience my wrath. So is all wrath um, necessarily sinful? No, absolutely. All wrath is not sinful. Um, And God's wrath is never sinful. God can't sin. God's wrath is always a holy wrath, a Mm. a just wrath, giving somebody exactly what they deserve for their sin. Okay? So our sin is a transgression of the law, It brings about a real guilt. We're guilty of breaking the law of God. Thereby, I said already. I already said once, there is no small sin because there is no small God to sin against. So when we sin against God, we are worthy 
of his wrath. Right? That's what we get. That's what we deserve for sinning against God. We deserve wrath. Okay? Goes on to say, and curse of the law. We have a scripture for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay. If you're living your life off of, I'm just trying to be a good person, and I hope when I get to heaven, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds, and God will let me into heaven. Um, that's not the way the universe was created. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way that, that God works. God expects perfection. Mm. And so if you are trying to rely on your work, guess what? You're only going to be under the curse because you're always going to be a sinner. Always. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you're never going to experience life with God. You're never going to experience forgiveness. You're never going to experience justification. You're never going to experience the new heavens, the new earth. Because at the bottom, your search for sanctification is based on yourself. Mm -hmm. Your ability to be good enough to earn God's approval. And the reality is that standard is impossibly high Mm -hmm. and you'll you'll never meet it. You'll never reach it. And so you're always going to be under a curse. So what if a, what if a good person is actually better than the Christian? Well, that's real, and that, that, that happens. It, and um, and it, from, from human perspective, that can be 100% real, you know? But when a person is not a Christian and they're doing good deeds, those deeds are not holy deeds because they're not doing them from faith. Right. They're not doing them from as a result to the, of the grace of God and receiving a new heart. Maybe they, had per, maybe they had amazing parents. Maybe they're just, they've got a personality and a disposition that's just super sweet. And so, and, and they've just went through life based on those, you know, natural gifts they've, they've been given by God. And then you've got somebody over here who had horrible parents, was maybe abused, grew up in the wrong part of town, was, was part of a gang and all this kind of stuff. And it's got hardly any redeeming qualities in himself and yet reaches rock bottom and cries out to God and God saves this person. But now this person is starting off possibly family system that was completely broken, doesn't really understand, um, you know, his, his, his virtue is very, his, is very low, maybe a low education. He's got all of these bad habits, all this negative stuff in his life. He's starting off way down the track right? And yet he truly is saved. He truly has been justified. He truly has been regenerated, but his righteousness, his righteous deeds may never measure up to that unregenerated person from the outside. That's good. You know? Okay. Okay. So he is bound over to the wrath of God, the curse of the law, and so made subject to death. Scripture? Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So, in the beginning, God said, um, if you disobey me, you will die. Scripture says, the soul that sins, it shall die. Mm. The wages of sin is death. So, when we are a transgressor and we're guilty before God, 
we're bound over to the wrath of God, that wrath of God plays out in death. That's why we die. That's why people die, right? And ultimately also spiritual death, which is hell, okay? And so this is why they give us three categories here. And he says, with all miseries, spiritual. So I'll put this on you guys. What are some spiritual miseries of the person who doesn't know Christ? I think always seeking to be filled and always being unsatisfied because you can never find that thing that's going to complete you. Okay. That's good. What else? I'll say approval, right? Fighting the, fighting the fight every day to try to get approval and, you know, you may never get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's along the lines, kind of a combination of both of those things. It's like... Just kind of always wondering. Mm. Um, and there's no there's no hope of finding it. Mm. If you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you. We are a spiritual being. Every single person, Christian or non-Christian, we're a spiritual being, and that means we're meant to find rest in God. Yeah. That our heart, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Mm. And so, the person who is a transgressor of the law and has never turned to Christ is going to have a restless heart all the time. They're going to be looking for the things of this earth to satisfy them. They're going to be making idols out of all kinds of stuff. They're going to be super anxious. Their net, their soul is never going to be at rest. Mm. Right. And so there's, that's a misery that comes from being a sinner who has not been um, saved and and for you guys who want to be future pastors and preachers, you need to be able to diagnose those spiritual miseries so that you can talk about them from the stage and you because this is the this is the human experience, mm. and you got to be able to say, do you feel this way? This is why you feel this way, and mm. this is why you need Christ. Yeah. yeah. So then there's also temporal um, miseries, temporal miseries, and that can be that can be all kinds of different things. Some of the stuff we just described, but also Sin has consequences. So if you steal, what might happen to you? Go to jail. You might go to jail. You might get caught, right? If you cheat on your wife, what might happen to you? Divorce, separation. She might kill you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Depends on what kind of wife you got. <laughs> she Why might... are you looking at me like that? <laughs> oh, man. So... All kind of bad things could happen, right? You destroy your family, you get a divorce, you um, your, your wife kills you, whatever happens. <laughs> temporal mis—that's a temporal misery caused by sin, right? Uh, you are addicted to pornography. What's the you know a temporal misery? Is you find a two-dimensional picture on a screen. Um, more attractive or more compelling than a real human being, mm. you know, which is something that's going on in our society right now. Young men don't know how to go up and talk to a girl and ask for her number and ask her out on a date because that's so much more difficult than just going to click on a website and lusting. Yeah. You know, it's te- and so that's a tempor- temporal misery. And then lastly, of course, um, with all misery, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So 
sin causes eternal miseries, mm. right? What does Jesus say about that? What does Jesus say about the eternal miseries of says, life without uh, him? Things like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Where the fire is never quenched, yeah. right? The worm does not die and the fire never goes out. And so, and ultimately, if God himself is love and hell is, you know, for those who push away from God and don't want anything to God, then that's what hell is. It's an ultimate misery because God himself is love, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't get access to God in, in, that, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, again, see, see, this is what I'm talking about. This, these categories bring reality to sin. I feel like when most of the time we talk about sin, it feels like you put your hand in the cookie jar and you mm. got smacked, yeah. right? That's what sin is. It's just something naughty, yeah. something that re- it's real fun to do, but somebody up, God arbitrarily says, don't do it. It's like God in heaven who, you know, he likes red jelly bellies better than all the other jelly bellies. He just chooses to like red jelly bellies. And so his law is just like that. It's just arbitrary. It's just his opinion. When in fact, it's, it's his nature, right? Righteousness is his nature. It's who he is. It's the way he's built the world. And so when you sin against him, you're sinning against God, you're sinning against righteousness, you're sinning against goodness, and it's going to bring about a curse. It's going to ruin your life physically. It's going to ruin your life spiritually. It's going to ruin your life eternally. Mm. And when we think of it in terms of that, it just it makes it a lot more serious in a sense. And it, yeah. I think it helps us diagnose our own problems. It helps us take them seriously. John Owen, famous Puritan said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Mm-hmm. Right? You think it's hard for people to, um, to name their sin um, because of, you know, just you, you were talking about social media, all these different things where, a lot of people are so distracted and then they don't repent because they can't name the sin. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point. Um, number one, if you don't read the Bible, then sometimes the only sins you know are the big sins, what you think are the big sins, right? And you don't know lust is a sin. You don't know um, calling your brother a fool when it's not appropriate. That's, that's a sin, right? That's equal to murder in your heart, like Jesus said. You don't know not giving financially to God's mission is a sin. You know, you don't know not going to church is a sin. Not being a part of a body of believers is a sin. Why? Because God calls us to be members of a church. And so if you're not doing that, you're disobeying him. You know, all of these different things are sin. And so if I don't know that these things are sin, I, yeah, I will have a hard time naming them and I won't know how much I've been forgiven for. Mm-hmm. Once I learn more and more and more about sin, I get more and more in awe of the work of the gospel. Yeah. Like I didn't just get forgiven for being, you know, you know, whatever, for, for cussing somebody out. Yeah. I, get, I get forgiven for worshiping something other than God. You know, mm-hmm. I get forgiven for all of these different sins that I commit. And so um, the bigger we can see our sin, the bigger we should be able to see the cross and the work of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. So we should never be afraid to see 
another dark corner of our soul that the light needs to shut, shed, shine into. Amen. So we shouldn't be surprised, huh? No. We, surprised. we should not be surprised. We should never be surprised. Well, what do you think, listener? What do you think? Do you uh, lean towards more seeing yourself as sinner or seeing yourself as saint, seeing yourself as the righteousness of Christ? Do you think we talk too much about sin or not enough? Have uh, any of these categories helped you? We would love to hear from you. If you've got any questions, you can email me, uh, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. We will try to answer those here on the podcast. We hope this podcast is helping you follow Jesus, love Jesus, and worship God in the normal rhythms of your life. We will talk to you soon. Thank you.